Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. I'm so excited about this this series that we're in on the life of Joseph. It's already impacted me in a lot of ways, and I know it's going to impact you as well. We're going to be in a study called From Pit to Palace, The Life of Joseph. And today I just want to give you a 30,000 foot overview, a kind of a, re- a quick recap. But I just want you to listen and absorb this story. Uh, and, and as I said, it's 30,000 feet, so we're going to move really fast through the life of, of Joseph. And the next week we're going to go begin our verse-by-verse study of this amazing book. It begins in Genesis chapter 37 and goes through chapter 50. So I would encourage you to go home and sometime this week read those chapters 37 through 50. The star in our story is a young man probably between the age of 15 and 17 years of age by the name of Joseph. He had the distinct privilege of being a direct descendant of the famous family lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which, who was his father. Joseph fathered 12 sons, 10 of which grew to hate the 11th son, Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph more than any other son since he had come from his favorite wife, Rachel, who had finally provided him with a son in their old age and died in childbirth with number 12 son, Benjamin. The 12 sons all had the same father, Jacob, but there were four different mothers involved here. I tell you this because Jacob loved Joseph more than all the other brothers, and the first 10 sons knew this, and they hated Joseph for this. Jacob loved Joseph so much that he went out and he got him something akin to a modern-day hunting jacket. On at least two occasions, Joseph has these reoccurring dreams, and he probably should have kept them to himself, but in his youthfulness, he shared them with the entire family. He shared with them that the dream given to him was that they would all bow down to him. Can you imagine how the ten older brothers felt about this? Well, one day the ten brothers had taken the sheep north up near Shechem to pasture them. When Jacob grew anxious for some word of how the boys were doing and how the flocks were faring, so he decided to send Joseph up to them. So he heads north and to find his brothers and to bring word back to dad. They see him coming from a long way off, and they begin to plot his death. They're going to murder Joseph. At first, they want to kill him right off and throw him into a nearby pit. But then Reuben, the oldest brother, convinced them to just throw him in the pit alive. And then let's talk about how to proceed from there. Reuben, who doesn't want to hurt Joseph, leaves for a while. And while he's gone, the nine brothers hatch an idea and they carry it out while he's gone. They see a band of Midianite slave traders coming by and they decide that they can both get rid of Joseph and line their pockets with some cash. So little brother goes off to Egypt. They're rid of daddy's little favorite while making themselves a little richer 
They tear up the nice jacket and pour some animal blood on it and decide to tell Dad that a wild animal must have attacked Joseph while he was coming to us and killed him. If you needed evidence of their cold-blooded hearts, this is all you'd need to know. The ten boys go back to their father and they break his heart. They tell him that Joseph is dead and he collapses. His heart is broken. His dreams for Joseph and the nation of Israel are shattered. While Jacob is grieving the supposed death of his son, Joseph is being sold at Acme Slaves R Us over in Egypt. A powerful man named Potiphar will make the greatest slave purchase of his life when he barters for the young Israelite. And he takes him to work on his property. Potiphar is a very influential man. He was the equivalent to the head of the secret service of Egypt. He owns an enormous estate where he grows crops on the ranch. It doesn't take long before the ranch staff come to realize that whatever Joseph does turns to gold. Because Scripture tells us that God was with Joseph and prospered him. You want to be successful in life? Walk alongside of God and do what He tells you to do. Trust Him, obey Him, and go wherever He leads you. Even when it doesn't make sense, and especially when it looks like things are going south, keep following Him. Potiphar can't believe how successful this young man is, and he promotes him over all the other slaves. But the success is not in the man, but rather in his God. Now, if the story ended right here, we'd all agree that this was a rags-to-riches story. But this story isn't a good story. This story is a great story. And it goes from pit to palace, from kid to king. Now enter stage right, the desperate housewife edition. Yes, she's hot with a cot, got a lot, highly sought, wife a pot of fur. (laughs) Better stop right now. But this describes her to a T. And she has eyes for this handsome young man who's entered her home. And she goes full beast mode on her. She commanded Joseph to go to bed with her while her husband, his boss, is away on business. And this godly, good-looking man said, in your dreams. No, actually, he says something a whole lot better. I'll quote it from the Bible. Chapter 39, verse 8. Joseph replied to her, Look, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house. A.K.A. my master has complete trust. He's not micromanaging. My master trusts me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Scripture tells us that she pursued Joseph often, probably daily, until one day they're alone in the home. And she lays hands on him. Joseph, of course, he slips out of her grasp. He pulls away and she hangs on to the jacket and he does that little spin and he's gone. She's left in the room holding on to an empty jacket. Listen, men, 
and I'm talking old and young in the room, when lust comes knocking, you don't pray about it. You don't phone a friend. Scripture tells us to run like it's midnight in the woods and the boogeyman's loose. The best response to lust is a pair of Nikes. You don't need to ask God. He's already spoken on the topic. He's already, God's already spoken on the topic. He says we're to flee youthful lust. Flee means to sprint. Youthful isn't just pointing towards kids. It is an immature lust. And God says, get away from it. Joseph flees right out of the coat and this harlot of a wife makes a false report to her husband telling him, Joseph, your big shot slave, tried to sexually assault me. See, I've got his jacket. He left it here when you came back. Well, Potiphar's stunned. He's angry and disappointed. This is his number one guy. He trusted him. But as wise as he was, Potiphar, I have to believe that he questioned his wife's story. I kind of think he had some inkling to her nature. And that may have saved Joseph's life. Instead of executing him right on the spot, which he could have done, he decides to throw Joseph in prison. Just when it looks like the story was over, it takes a wildly crazy turn here. What a roller coaster ride for Joseph. Just when he thought things were turning around for him, just when it seemed like God had finally worked out all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, God throws a major twist into the story. We just need to realize that every great story has unexpected tragedies, twists, and turns along the way. That's what makes them great stories. You wouldn't be reading this story if, it, if Joseph was born and he just had a great life and died. That wouldn't be interesting. God is a God who is involved in our lives. And there are twists and turns that we can't even imagine coming. When God is with you, even the prison warden loves you. So Joseph heads off for prison. And of course, the warden sees that Joseph has a God-given talent for organizational leadership. He quickly raises up little Joe to be one of the main leaders in the correctional facility. The prison staff comes to respect and appreciate all that Joseph controls. Eventually, two of Pharaoh's main servants, the wine taster and the baker, get into a beef in the palace. One of them has done a crime. And when the guilty party can't be identified, both of them get thrown into prison. Well, God sends a dream to both of the servants and they don't understand what they mean. And they're talking to Joseph one day and, well, Joseph prays and God gives him the answer as to what they mean. Joseph says, God has, God has revealed what those two dreams mean. You, Mr. Wine Taster, you're going to be returned to your former glory in the palace next to Pharaoh. While you, Mr. Baker, well, your noose is cooked. I guess we know who the guilty party of the crime was back in the palace. Well, a short while later, it's all confirmed. Potiphar's CSI team discovers it was the baker, and he's executed while the wine taster is restored to his former position, just as Joseph had said. 
Two years later, Pharaoh has a disturbing dream and can't decipher its meaning. So the wine taster immediately tells the king of Joseph's dream deciphering abilities and and Joseph receives a get-out-of-jail card. The end. We all go home happy, right? It didn't end that way, did it? No. It's not what happens. No, the wine taster goes, mum's the word. Cat's got his tongue. He's lawyered up. He's not going to say anything about knowing Joseph and what he's doing or what he can do. He goes silent. And the months go by. And the years go by. Joseph is no longer a teen. He's somewhere in his early to mid-30s now. He's been in prison a long, long time. You ever been somewhere where you don't want to be for a long, long time? Joseph could speak to that. Listen, God is never late. God is working His will out in your life in such a way that when you and I get to tell the old, old story, some people will listen. They'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit and place their trust in Jesus. Listen, God isn't messing with you in the middle of your storm. He's given you a message so that you can share it with all the saints and shake up the sinners. Well, let's get back to the palace. Pharaoh goes to sleep one night and he's awakened by a dream. He dreams of seven fat cows followed by seven lean or skinny cows. This is weird enough. Well, he falls back to sleep and he continues to dream. This time he dreams of seven loaded stalks of grain, but that's followed by seven stalks that are completely barren, nothing on them. When Pharaoh wakes up in the morning, again, he's disturbed by this night of activities. He believes that his dreams mean something very important, but what what that is, he has no clue. So before he grabs the French press and Coffeeana, he does a Zoom meeting with Egypt's finest and brightest. He calls everybody together. What does this mean? And if you're one of his viziers, you don't guess. Because if you guess wrong, it could mean losing your head. Suddenly, the wine taster, after all these years, remembers the guy who interpreted his dreams and the baker's dreams perfectly. He tells Pharaoh about little Joe, who's still back in prison. And before you know it, this young man, this young and faithful man, who's still working in the prison, who's still being faithful in the prison, receives a golden ticket to visit the palace. That's why you don't give up. That's why you don't quit. Because God's writing the story. And if you quit, you're going to quit right before the amazing part of the story where God goes, now I'm letting you out and you're going to bring me glory and you're going to have a testimony, Joseph, that's second to none. Joseph listens to Pharaoh's dreams and he tells Pharaoh, look, I in the moment don't know what those mean yet, but if God wants me to know what they are, He'll tell me and I'll be able to tell you. Eventually God tells Joseph, exactly what those dreams mean. Joseph informs this king that God is warning Egypt that there will be an abundance of food for seven years in Egypt. This will be followed by seven years of 
great famine in the land. Every nation around Egypt will be affected. But if Egypt will put away 20% of her crops for those abundant seven years, then they'll have enough reserves to feed not only Egypt, but the countries around them for the seven years of famine. Additionally, Joseph tells Pharaoh that God is instructing him to select a man to oversee the plan to carry this all out. Pharaoh's beside himself when he hears this from Joseph. We read his response in chapter 41, verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all the servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this? a man in whom is the Spirit of God. Then uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold chain around his neck. Talk about going from pit to prison to the palace. This is a Cinderella story. The story and the riveting drama here is about to hit a crescendo. The seven years of plenty go by and Joseph makes sure that there's 20% that's being skimmed off the top and put into reserves, just as God instructed. And then the famine comes and begins to spread across the Middle East. God uses the famine to drive Jacob to send his ten older sons, Joseph's evil brothers, to Egypt in search of grain. God uses something that is bad to bring about something that is awesome. The brothers arrive and Joseph immediately recognizes them. They don't have a clue that this assistant to Pharaoh is their brother. They only see him as this powerful right-hand man of Pharaoh and they fall to their knees and they bow down to Joseph. Did I tell you God always comes through? Joseph, pretending to speak through an interpreter, finds out from them that dad and brother Benjamin are still alive. He provides the ten brothers with grain to take back home for their, not only for his, fa- his family and, and, and the extended family in the tribe, but also for their animals. So their donkeys are just overloaded with grain. He's going to take care of them. And as they're leaving Abdul's feedlot, Joseph sends his armed security guards to arrest them for being spies. And he throws them all in jail for three days. God is working in their hearts and in their conscience. And they immediately begin to feel overwhelmed and guilty for what they had done to their little brother almost 20 years ago now. They believe that God is finally repaying them for what they had done. Joseph finally releases nine of them. He keeps Simeon as leverage and tells them they can prove their innocence and get Simeon out or going home to dad and coming back with Benjamin in tow. He wants to see Benjamin. 
Now, Benjamin has replaced Joseph as the apple of his father's eye, and dad's not about to let him go to Egypt, saying if something were to happen to Benjamin, I would die of sorrow. You guys aren't taking it back. You've already lost Simeon. What were you guys doing there? I sent you to buy grain and come home. It should have been a simple transaction. What's going on? No, you're not taking Benjamin there. Mm -mm. I can't trust you guys. So God turns up the heat a little more. Jacob and his family and his friends run low on grain again a short while later. And he's forced to send his prized son to Pharaoh to get food. The last thing he wants to do is send Benjamin with these irresponsible brothers. But he has to. Well, they all arrive in Egypt. They go to the assistant Pharaoh's house to buy grain. And Joseph sees his little brother Benjamin and he's undone. He has to remove himself to another room because he begins to weep for his little brother. He hasn't seen him in so long. He loves Ben so much. And here he is standing right before him. Well, he invites the now 11 brothers into the banquet hall and seats them by their birth order perfectly. And they, their minds are blown. He gives them all a nice platter at dinner of food. But on Benjamin's plate, there's five times much more food on his plate than anybody else. <laughs> Why? Because Benjamin wasn't involved in their crime. While the brothers are stunned, Joseph remains incognito as the 11 brothers then head home with food and grain for dad again. But Joseph orders his men to place his personal all-weathered heated silver coffee carafe from Arabian Coffee Outfitters into Benjamin's saddlebag. Again, as the boys are leaving, now they get out of town. Joseph says to his security team, Go stop him and arrest him for stealing my silver mug that you placed in Benjamin's sack. And that's what happens. First time they were accused of being spies, now they're going to be accused of stealing Pharaoh's prized cup. Well, the guards find the mug in Benjamin's knapsack, and all heck breaks loose among the brothers. This is their worst nightmare. Judah begs for Ben's life, saying that they didn't know how the cup got there. We wouldn't be so stupid to steal the most powerful man's cup. We just came for grain. Please, you got to believe me. The security says, no, we're taking little Ben with us. Simeon can't believe, Reuben can't believe this. He says, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, you can't, you can't kill little Benjamin. Our dad will die if you do that. We promised on pain of death that we would go back to him with Benjamin. Listen, just take our lives. We deserve it. God's punishing us for what we did to another brother that you don't know. We sold him into slavery. We did this great sin and now God's repaying us. And finally... They're thinking about someone else than themselves. Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. He says, go home with the grain. Tell my father that I live. And that I want you to all come back to Egypt. I'm going to give you the prime grazing land that's right next to the palace. And I'm going to take care of you personally. Can you imagine the conversation with dad? They're afraid of Joseph. And here's Joseph's reply. He has a, a reason to want 
retribution, but he doesn't take it. The brothers are afraid he's going to kill them. So this is what Joseph says. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph was a big picture kind of guy. He didn't look at the one situation of being thrown into pit and judge God for that. Joseph knew that God was working in his life and he could see the big picture. He didn't know how it was going to work out or when it was going to work out. He just knew that God could be trusted. Listen, my friends, God needs some big picture Christians right now that see this world as a bigger picture. Listen, in every family, someone has to grow up. In every family, someone needs to break the silence first. If you've hurt your parents and you can go to them, I wouldn't put my head on the pillow tonight till I called them and asked for forgiveness. If you've wronged a brother or sister or another person, seek forgiveness and let the healing begin with you. And if you've been wronged, forgive radically and unconditionally. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Wow, that changes things. Are you ready for this amazing journey? Been in the study of Joseph now for a month. And let me tell you, your pastor has some things to work on as well. And there's some people I got to go back to and say, look, I gave up on you, but I want to come back. We need to work on some things. And if you go through this, it's not going to be easy. If you're honest with yourself, the Holy Spirit will probably have some things to say to you during this study. Jesus never said it'd be easy. He only said it'd be worth it when it's over. God's writing a great story. Let Him write. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.